Right on. Thank you so much for leading us. Wonderful job, guys. Um, please stand with me for the reading of the scriptures. Beginning in John chapter 8, verses 3, we read, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin amongst you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote in the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the oldest ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, send no more. John chapter 21, beginning in verses 4, says, Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were able to haul it in because of all the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Jesus, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped from work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they had gotten on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the di disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? For they knew that it was the Lord. John 21, verses 15 through 17 says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said this to him, and G Peter said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he said to him, Feed my lambs. Peter said a second time, Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved before, because he had said this a third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Woo, so good. Nick's mic's not working. <laughs> you don't get to talk tonight. I'm in the center. Oh, there we are. Hey, Collective, how are we doing? Are we doing all right? It's good to see you guys. Woo, woo. <laughs> Did you hear woo. that? The pain. Oh, and they're, the pain. woo. They're all, woo. The pain. Hey, are we celebrating Christmas yet? Is it okay to celebrate Christmas? Okay, thank you. Sky and I, <clears throat> for those that are new who don't know, we celebrate Christmas November 1st, Okay. We start decorating. We put up our Christmas tree, our fake one, November 1st. Yep. And all through November, we're putting on Christmas music, okay? Yep. And here's a hot take. I want to know. Is there such a thing as good Christmas music? Is there Christmas music you would listen to beyond December? Yes or no? Oh. No. Michael, Michael Bublé. Bublé. Yes. You're, you're telling me you're bumping Michael <laughs> Bublé in July. Yes. <laughs> And I thought you had good music taste. Oh, my gosh. I love my gosh. Christmas music, too. Sometimes I'm just, 
I'll listen. Whatever. It's a good vibe. Whatever well, uh, <laughs> hey, if we haven't met yet, my name is Nick. This is my wonderful wife, Sky, uh, and this is Collective Young Adults, as Peter was talking about. And this is just a gathering and a community centered around the good news of Jesus. And we gather together every Sunday here at the West Side, sometimes Osuna Campus Calvary, and uh, we just sit under the Word, spend time in worship, spend time in community. And I just want to first of all say, if you have not been greeted or welcomed, I am so glad you're here. Um, if it's your first time or hundredth time, um, and no matter what you come from, where you come from, what your understanding is of something like this, uh, or your unfamiliarity with it, uh, we are so glad you are here. And so tonight's a little bit different than usual, and we did this the last series we wrapped up. And what we like to do from now on as a ministry, as, as we conclude our series, we like to, me and Skylar, get up here together, because um, we need to hear a little bit of the woman's perspective. Okay, okay. Some of y'all... Never mind. Anyway, uh, and, and we need to hear a little bit on the series. I, I think it's really essential to kind of do a little devo together, talking through um, kind of the essential fundamental principle of the series we just went through. Then we wrap up that time with a live Q&A. And so we're going to take a little five-minute break after we kind of share a little bit and do a live Q&A with y'all. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I have no idea what to expect. Yeah. It could go crazy tonight or it could be really minimal. I'm down for whatever, okay? If you're down, say I'm down. Some of you are like, I'm leaving during the five-minute break. Uh, but we'll do a live Q&A. We'll give you everything for that. But tonight, me and Skylar, uh, we want to really touch on the topic of the difference between legalism versus holiness. Yeah. And the reason for, the, for that is we've been going through this series in this house. And in the beginning of the series, I introduced that the reality is Jesus has expectations, like a father would running his household, of those who expect to be a part of his households, right? So I read that passage and taught through that passage a few weeks ago of Jesus in the temple, and he has expectations for what his house, what his place of worship, what it means to follow him looks like. And the tagline for that series was, how do we become set apart in a world that is not? Because I don't know about you, but I feel looking through social media, just sitting on the sidelines of certain friends' lives, no judgment to them, but it seems like there's more cultural Christians than convicted Christians, it seems like there's more people in our day and age who want to blend in with society more than to stand out from it. And so this series has served the purpose of looking through the life and the walk of Jesus and how do we become more like him by doing what he did. Yeah. And so in that, I, I sense and I, and I understand through conversation, there's the topic of, okay, what's the difference between being holy as, as God instructs us to be, be holy as I am holy, seek after him, versus legalism? Where's the line? Because you'll see people play both sides of that idea. If somebody is following their convictions, they'll be called legalistic. But then if somebody is asking others to live up to a conviction that they, that they themselves can never live up to, there, there's a little bit of tension there. And so we want to teach from two separate passages. Skylar's going to be sharing on the woman caught in adultery. And I want to be sharing on Jesus on the, uh, on the beach with Peter. And so we're titling this devotional tonight, Jesus in the dirt. Yeah. Jesus in the dirt. Because no matter which way you flip it, this is two instances where Jesus is seen in the dirt with people yeah. and real life application as his followers we can take away of how do we understand the difference between legalism mm -hmm. and holiness. But before we jump in, Sky, could you just open us up in a word of prayer for tonight? Yeah. Oh, Lord, um, we just pray that, Lord, we would be a set-apart ministry and that we would be a set-apart people, God. I pray that, Lord, Collective would produce people who are holy, God. 
Lord, and I just pray that tonight that as Nick and I communicate and even as we answer questions, God, I just pray that your presence is in the room, God, and Lord, that we would just honor who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That was something. Beats <laughs> the table. Yeah, right. Uh, well, I'm super excited, um, but also very honored um, to be talking tonight. Um, and Nick had specifically asked me to be um, just talking about legalism. And I'm not going to lie with you guys. I've taught a couple times before, and um, this has been probably one of the most challenging things I have had to speak on, I think especially with legalism and then combining it with this verse of the woman caught in adultery. I told Nick, I said, this could be a six-week series, Nick. Like, this is not like a 10-minute, like, you know, quick devo. Like, this is hard. But also, I loved the challenge, but I also loved the conviction that the Lord had brought even upon me. And so I'm just um, wanting to give you guys a little bit of homework. I know I just started, and I'm giving you homework. Um, But tonight, I just ask you this. I am not going to do justice with this. That this has to go beyond these four walls. That if you have a connect group in here tonight, if you have friends in here tonight, if you have a spouse in here tonight, I encourage you, go home. Read about it. Talk about it. I don't want us to think for you. And so tonight, I'm challenging you with what we bring to you Go home and dwell it, dwell upon it. Because I, I, I mean this. Ten minutes, y'all, I'm going to give you the quick band-aid. But it's going to be really through you guys marinating in it that I truly believe the Lord's going to show you specifically how you need to be convicted or how you need to be comforted. And so um, we're going to just jump right in. And um, we're talking about legalism, y'all. And I really believe this. We have all... And if you have not, you will struggle with it. I believe that it is a part of the Christian life that if you are striving to be holy, you will struggle with legalism. And tonight, all I want to do is for us to have a heart check in the house tonight. Can we do that? So tonight, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show a little bit of red flags in here tonight. And I want us to, maybe you struggle with all of it. We're going to slowly take those red flags out. But maybe you struggle with just one part of it. We want to make sure that when we're striving for holiness, that legalism is not introduced. So tonight, all I want to do for you guys is just show the red flags. But before we do that, I want to jump into the scripture that we're going to be going to. Peter, thank you for reading it. Also, that word he gave in the beginning, I was all, we don't need a message tonight. Peter dropped the mic. (laughs) That was a word. It was a word. I needed it. Um, But if you guys wouldn't mind going with me, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We have the verse on the screens. But to John 8. Um, And it says this, um, 1 through 10, it says this, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, um, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Really fast. I love Jesus. He's like, come sit down. Let me teach you. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her, if you want, can you highlight this for me? And they made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, you can highlight that. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? 
They were using this question as a trap in order to have a bias for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his fingers. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any of you who are without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground at the at this, those who heard began to go away at the time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one con- condemned you? No, sir, she said, neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Tonight, my first point is this. Legalism makes, um, sorry, legalism makes public a private confrontation. Legalism makes public a private confrontation. I think tonight, a really big flag of when I struggle with legalism, I need to ask myself, is the way I am following Jesus bringing more shame than salvation? Is the way you are following Jesus in here tonight bringing more shame than salvation. In the midst of your confrontations, in the midst of your debating at the Thanksgiving table, in the midst of you typing on your Facebook, in the midst of you going on Instagram, posting on your story, are you causing more fights than bearing fruit? And tonight, I want us to ask ourselves this honestly. When legalism is introduced, it's normally because we are more about getting our trap set than telling the truth. You're thinking, Sky, what trap? I'm not trying to trap Jesus. I'm here to speak my truth for the Lord. But be honest with yourself. Are you really wanting to speak truth or are you wanting to be right? I think a lot of us need to dig a little deep. I am guilty of it too. Is the root just wanting to be right? What I love about Jesus, and here's what I'm not asking you, to not stand for your faith, to not debate. I'm not asking you that. Jesus didn't dismiss the woman caught in adultery. The woman, Jesus didn't say, oh, you're good. You're good. Go, go, go. No, Jesus said, hey, sin no more. You are forgiven. But I find, I told you to highlight a verse, that it was so public and shameful that these Pharisees and these Sadducees threw her in front of everyone to see. And it was all about them being right and the trap they had to set. Whereas what did Jesus do? He sent them away, then confronted. And so tonight, I want us to dig deep. Do we have the root of legalism in, legalism in us, of the root of just wanting to be right? My second point is this. Legalism talks the talk, but does not walk the walk. If you look back in those verses, they say, I told you to highlight it too, they say, like Moses had commanded, y'all, in Leviticus 20.10, Moses' law that the Lord had given him, it says that you must bring the man and the woman. Then we skip down and we see that Jesus literally says, he who's without sin, throw the first stone. 
Obviously, no one has sinned. But you see, legalism talks the talk but does not walk the walk. I think a lot of red flags in us today, in us today, we talk the talk but we do not walk the walk. It is easy to complain. It is easy to criticize. And it is easy to just sit back and see every problem. But it is hard. It is hard to act. It is hard to love. And to get more personal, I believe some of us in here tonight, including myself, we can complain. I wrote it down. Y'all, I was feeling super convicted. But all I got to say is this. We need to find the red flag of the next time we complain about, well, the government. They just don't take care of us. They don't take care of people. Well, when did you love on your neighbor? Well, oh, the worship team is gonna, they just perform. I'm sorry, when have you volunteered to be on the worship team? Oh, oh, that Bible teacher? I do this all the time. Oh, he didn't, he didn't speak um, from the Greek and from the, I, I'm sorry, do you know the Greek word for that? Our legalism can take a back seat. And I, I encourage you, I love talking the talk. But let's walk the walk. Let's stop telling and accusing people and pointing the finger when it's just pointing right back at us. I think a lot of us in here tonight are holding stones that have our name on them. And tonight, I want to encourage you this. If you have a complaint, be ready to follow through. I don't want to hear it anymore. And I feel like the Lord told me that today. Skylar, you're going to complain? You're going to complain about being pro-life but not taking babies? I don't want to hear it. Walk the walk, Skylar. Us as Christians, I believe this. We need to stop relying on the big church to fix our neighborhoods. Can I be honest? The government, I will get, the stones are about to come at me. The government (laughs) will not fix New Mexico. You, you are called to go to New Mexico and share the good news of the good Lord. So tonight, I encourage you, we, I, look more like the Pharisee when I tell people, oh, it needs to be fixed by them. Jesus, what are you going to do about her? Skylar, what are you going to do about her? So tonight, ask yourself that. Ask yourself that. My last point is this. Legalism brings hurt, but holiness brings healing. This pastor said this, and I loved it. Show me your legalism, and I'll show you your hurt. We see at the end of this chapter, um, Jesus basically says, he who's without sin, throw the first stone, and they all slowly start walking away. And all's left is this woman, this broken, hurting woman. But as I read it, it was so easy, again, to be like, They're in the wrong. I'm glad they left. I love who Jesus is. He loves women. Praise God. But God was like, Skylar, you're missing the whole point. There's two broken people in this story. You have these Pharisees and Sadducees. They don't have me. They're broken. Then you have this woman caught in adultery. See, she is broken. And tonight, here's the thing. I believe you show me your legalism and I'll show you your hurt. You show, I show the Lord my legalism and he shows me where I'm hurt. And tonight, I just want to ask you this. It is not just brokenness that will keep you away from the cross. 
It is also pride. And tonight, I believe this, is that when we are broken before the Lord, he takes us. But I want to also encourage you with this. Your legalism in here tonight, what is keeping you away from the Lord is your pride. And that these Pharisees had the opportunity that when they started having that conviction stirring in their heart to come at the feet of Jesus with the woman that they brought. Could you imagine the story if that's what changed it? If they came to the feet of Jesus with her? I can't imagine. But yet they left. Some of you in here tonight, you're going to just leave. But I, I believe this. There's someone in here tonight that Jesus is saying, Come to me. Come to me. You've been raised in the church. You know your verses. You know where you stand on anything and everything. But Jesus is saying, come to me. I don't want you to be legalistic. I want you to be holy. But I'm going to ask you this. Will your pride keep you away from experiencing the calling set before you? Will your pride keep you away from being healed fully? Peter said it today. He literally said it on stage that some of you are just halfway. You're not saying, Lord, I need it all. And so tonight, I just want to ask you this. Is C.S. Lewis says this. Pride is a, a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Some of you are in here tonight who are angry. You're having a hard time loving people. You're having a hard time with outreach and listening and being here. And you're wondering, why am I so angry? And the, the Lord is asking you this. Right now, you have a spiritual cancer. Are you willing to let me heal you? And so that's the end of that. Man, I don't even need to talk now. We could just go home to just sit on that for like five months, seriously. I love in Scripture that uh, we get a picture of a perfect God working with not-so-perfect people. I think a lot, of the, a lot of the lies we believe about Scripture is it's a book full of perfect people, and that's the opposite of the reality. And so when, when transitioning and taking kind of a, a hard turn here and talking through holiness and the balance through legalism, I don't want you to begin to put in your mind pictures of uh, perfection apart from God when it comes to holiness. God is the only perfect one. He is the only one that has it all together, and we look to him for our example. And so transitioning tonight, I want, to, I want to speak really briefly on John chapter 21, those verses Peter uh, read to us, verses 4 through 12. And, and as we kind of, kind of transition there, I want to encourage you to open it up for yourself. And as you're opening it up, I want to ask you a question. Have you at any point in your life ever had a dream? I, I think all of us have. Have you, ever, have you ever had an idea? Have you ever thought about something or desired something? Maybe it came to you literally in a dream. Shout out to you. Uh, that's crazy. Okay. Um, maybe for you, it, it's been something since childhood. I think every single one of us can attest to the reality that at some point in our life, right now even, we have dreams, we have ideas, we have theories in our head of kind of what we want life to look like. Isn't that just what being a young adult is? Like you're going to the school, doing the discussion boards. I don't know why we do those. We do them. You're showing up to the job. You're doing the things because you have a dream. You have an idea. You have a desire to see a result in your life. Every single person can attest to this reality. And when I read the story in John chapter 21 of Peter, this moment is monumental. This moment for Peter is an idea, a theory, a concept 
coming to fruition and becoming a reality for Peter. What that idea, what that theory, what that concept was, was the reality of Jesus in his life. For Peter, prior to the resurrection of Jesus, prior to the cross of Christ, all for Peter that Jesus was, was someone who held the words of life. We read that in the New Testament, that Peter says, you alone, Lord, have the words of life. He claimed that he was Lord. But as we see coming up to the cross, right before Jesus is crucified, Jesus tells him with a sorrow-filled heart, you will deny me three times before the night's over. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter says, no, it couldn't be me, Lord. But before the night is over, in the presence of a middle school girl asking him, hey, do you follow that Jesus guy? Peter says, no, couldn't be me. The rooster crows, and I just imagine that moment, Peter, if you've read or heard that story, Peter just hangs his head, just disappointed, thinking through the reality of, I never thought this would be me. I never thought I would be the person for so many years I lived to not become, but here I am. And Peter finds himself in this space, and Jesus dies. And the first day, there's no news, and he's frustrated, I imagine. He's not there at the cross like John was. The second day goes by, probably the same, same feeling. Then the third day passes, and Peter, he, he gets together with his friends earlier in verse 1 in John chapter 21. He says, hey, let's, I'm going fishing. And really what this is, is Peter's returning to the way of life that he knew prior to Jesus stepping in. That Peter's going back to where Jesus found him. He's saying, I don't know what to really do. I'm just going to go fish. So him and a few of the other disciples, I believe it's seven, get together in the boat. They're pro fishermen, right? They rock, they rock the Bass Pro Shop hat, okay? They're dripping out. And, and they're fishing. And then across the water, they, they hear this voice. And then, they, and then the voice says, cast your net to the other side. So they cast their net to the other side. This is a super common practice in fishing at that time. And then upon getting the net, it is full of 153 fish, just bursting at the seams of fish. John, at that moment, recollects back in the Matthew account, this is the way they came to know the Lord in the first place. He says, it's the Lord. Peter, I, I love Peter, okay? I, I love how relatable Peter is. Peter doesn't say, oh, that's cool, great, awesome. Let's just, like, take our time, you know, let's take the long way around. Let's get to the shore, no, Peter puts on his coat, he's in his undies, pretty much, puts on his coat, jumps in the water. It doesn't even say how far he swam. It could have been a ways away. He swims all the way to the shore to be the first one to see Jesus. In this moment, all of the fullness of what Jesus has talked about, all of the ideas he's communicated, all of the things he has shared about this upside-down, backwards kingdom is now true. And I hope you understand that tonight, my friends. I hope you understand that without the resurrection, we're just wasting our time. Yep. Without the resurrection of Jesus, this is just like a mid-TED talk about something, about being a nice person, I guess. Mm. But the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. On, yep. William Barclay, the, the commentator and theologian, actually accounts that this story was added into John to show how real the resurrection was. Mm. So if you're doubting in here tonight, we can trust scripture. We know more about Jesus than we could ever find out about Aristotle, by the way. So a little apologetic for you. Just a little thing. Anyway, <laughs> this account was added to show how real Jesus' resurrection actually was. Because you can't have breakfast with a ghost, okay? 
Casper's not kicking on the beach with you. This was to show that Jesus' resurrection wasn't a mirage, wasn't a hallucination, that it actually was physical and real. Yeah. And so when, when talking about holiness, when talking about this idea, I don't know what comes to mind for you. But I really want to I I get something out on the table tonight. Holiness will make no sense to you if Jesus stays as, a, as an idea. Until you accept the full reality of who Jesus is, holiness means nothing. And I say that, and you say, okay, duh, Nick. But, but if I'm being really real, super, super real, like as real as I possibly could be on a whatever foot stage with the screen behind me and a microphone in my hand, I think if we went out to coffee, and, and we sat down, and I took my proverbial pastor hat off, and I said, hey, just be honest with me. Is Jesus real for you? No judgment, no, any, I'm not trying to bait you. I'm not trying to put in a Q&A later. Is Jesus real for you? I wonder how many of us would maybe look to the side, maybe glance down, not make eye contact and say, no, not really. And I wonder that. And there's no shame in understanding that and admitting that for yourself tonight. That if you're being really honest, if you're in Peter's shoes, if you were the one to hear John say it's the Lord, I wonder if we would jump out of the boat. I wonder if we would take the boat to shore, we'd say, no. I, I have to ask Nick all the time, myself, would I get in the water? Or would, would I be hesitant to really accept the reality of who Jesus is? And Dallas Willard in his book, uh, The Divine Conspiracy, in the introduction, he says this about the reality of who Jesus is. And for many people, how it's not very real. He says this, very few people today find Jesus interesting as a person or of vital relevance to the course of their actual lives. He is not generally regarded as a real person, real life personality who deals with real life issues. And frankly, he is not taken to be a person of much ability. He is automatically seen as a more or less magical figure a pawn or possibly a knight or a bishop in some religious game who only fits within the categories of dogma and of law. It's really easy to blend in. It's really easy to fit into a culture that in general is okay with following Jesus or the idea of following Jesus, but keep Jesus in the box of just, he kind of helps me be a better person. He kind of helps with the society. But the reality of who he is is never made apparent to you. And tonight, I want to prompt you towards that question a little further. I want to almost agitate that in your life to ask you as to why that is the case. As to why Jesus has just stayed in this box of never being made apparent or real for you. Because I have to be honest when we follow him, when we attest to the reality of who he is, if we are not living into the fullness of relationship to him, it is just rules and laws. If we aren't stepping fully into the life Christ has for us and looking to him and wanting to become more like him, there's nothing wrong with legalism. But holiness, holiness is asking this question, not how do I make God like me more? How do I aspire to do more for him? Here's the thing, my friend. God doesn't need a thing from you. Some of you can take a deep breath tonight. God doesn't need a thing from you. Look to the story of Jesus on the shore with the fish. 
Two questions. These aren't rhetorical. First question. Who actually caught the fish in the boat? Any ideas? There's no wrong answer. There's a correct answer, but I want to hear your thoughts. Jesus. Without Jesus, they couldn't have caught that fish. Okay. Second question. When they go to shore, did Jesus already have some fish? It's a weird story. It's like, why did Jesus say, go catch some fish, and then they came to shore, and it's like, okay, you already got fish? Why are you gaslighting me, okay? I just reeled all that in. Here's the principle. God is good. He's got the provision. He's brought something to the table already. See how they add the fish after? They say, yeah. And he says, take some of that fish that I pretty much caught for you, but I'll be humble about it. Take some of that fish, and we'll eat it as well. God's already brought something to the table, my friends. This is what legalism says. Legalism says, here's what I have to bring to the table for Jesus to enjoy, and it focuses on that. It says, this is the fullness and the reality of my relationship to Jesus. All that I have to bring to the table, and Jesus, aren't you enjoying my fish I brought? It's focusing on that one reality. Holiness is focusing on a different reality. Holiness is sitting at the table with Jesus and enjoying what he has already brought. Holiness is stepping into relationship with God and looking to his example and his image. And for the sake of enjoying more of what he has, we need to become more like him. That we can begin to think about what we have to bring to the table and who we are and all the unique things and our sin and all this. All that Jesus cares about is that what he's brought to the table is enough. And what he's brought to the table is forgiveness. Now, this resonated so deeply with Peter that later on in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 16, he says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. For just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. See, don't confuse this with trying to prove yourself to God. Don't confuse this with, man, God's just really just trying to hope that he has a good day and, you know, it's, it's, you know, there's stuff going on in the Middle East today and there's this going on in America and that going on over there. So hopefully God can have a good day because you just get it right today and be holy. Like he's just waiting on you. No. That, that's what legalism teaches. See, if anything, Jesus, through the sacrifice of the cross, is ready to forgive everybody. His forgiveness has already taken place. Read Romans chapter 5, verse 17. I'll read it to you. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man? Jesus has already offered his forgiveness. He's already had a meal on the shore ready for us. The thing is, is our brokenness isn't what hinders us, like Skylar is saying, from reaching the feet of God. What hinders us is we feel like Jesus actually doesn't match our expectations. It's not that we have to have all these expectations, we have to have our good rap sheet of good deeds before we could come to the feet of Jesus. If anything, we are turned off to the reality of Jesus because you don't think he's that great. He has not been made real for us yet. And so, in closing, I want to really touch down on, on this tension we face of holiness and wanting to become more like Jesus. That's the idea of holiness. 
There are things that go alongside with that, actions we do, works we have. That's what James talks about. But you're really not going to get it. You, you, it really will stay in the realm of dogma and law as long as you're fixated on the wrong questions. As long as you're fixated on the wrong questions about what holiness looks like, you'll approach it in the wrong way. Now, the truth is this. We desire to be holy, not to prove anything to the Lord, but to just be more like him. Think of Peter when he jumps into the water. He's trying to close the distance between him and Jesus to have deeper connection with him. He's already been forgiven. The cross has already occurred. He is made right and reinstated, but Jesus has already predecided to forgive him before he gets to the shore. And so for you and I, we, we have to ponder a few questions. A few questions in our life that I think pull us back from living fully into what it means to look and live like Jesus because of our own guilt and shame. And I want to I prompt you with these three questions when wrestling with the balance of holiness and to live a life that is holy. One, you have to ask this question, do I measure the acceptance of Jesus by my accomplishments? That's the first telltale sign. Because if you start out on that foot, and that's why you want to be holy, that's why you want to read these scriptures and do the things, it's not going to last long for you. It's not going to be a long-term relationship. It's going to be a contract. Contracts don't last long, okay? I'm not a lawyer, never will be, not smart enough for it. But I have to tell you, relationship lasts a lot longer than contract. The second thing is this, what is weighing down my pursuit of deeper connection with Jesus? I love this picture of Peter. He jumps in the water. All that he takes with him is one thing. He doesn't take all the fish, take all the things, take everything, try to get in the water, swim to Jesus. He says, whatever's hindering me, whatever's limiting me from being with my Lord, I'm just casting it off. There's some things tonight we need to leave in the boat. No one's going to jump in the water for you. No one's going to leave those things behind for you. Jesus has predecided how he feels about you. But the truth is, by what we bring to the table and all that we think we have or all that we think is fulfilling us aside, it's stealing our attention away from him. Instead of being on the shore with him, locking eye contact with him, sitting with him, we're over here paying attention to something else. What's hindering you? The last question is this, and I'll close with this. We're done. We're going to take a break. It'll be good. Last thing is this. Am I operating out of control, fear, really, of others or my personal relationship with Jesus and the acceptance that he has for me? Legalism will prompt you to want to control everybody's life, and it's going to be annoying for you. Where holiness is, you're just enraptured with your Lord. That's what the, the terminology of repentance is, to turn. Who are you turning to? Jesus, Right? I'm turning away from the thing. I'm turning to him. And I just want him. Yeah. I don't need the relationships. I don't need the job. I don't need the stuff. Thankful for it. Good. But I just want him. Yeah. And until that reality is rooted for you, you're going to be wasting your time. You're, you're going to be spinning your wheels a little bit. What's hindering you? What's stealing your attention away? And so with that, we're going to close in a little chorus and then do a little five-minute break. But I, I just want to pray over us and just conclude this time before we jump into Q&A. And I just want to pray that we may be unhindered. That as Peter was unhindered, despite his shame, despite his wrong, despite all the things that he did against Jesus, he was still willing to get in the water and Jesus was willing to meet him there. 
So I want to pray over you that if you're facing that tonight, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I just want to pray over us in the room who Jesus hasn't been made real for us yet. Let me pray for you. Father, so thankful that we get to call you that title. So thankful that you are a loving father. That the New Testament tells us that we get to be co-heirs with Christ. So Lord, I pray tonight that anyone struggling in the balance of legalism versus holiness, that they're caught up in the wrong questions, that they may cast the cares of this world aside, and that they may just look to you. And that, Lord, we may just be with you. Father, thank you through the death of your son on the sacrifice of the cross, that by his blood we are able to now be empowered by the spirit and walk in unity with you, that we were made new, that we don't have an old life. We had death behind us, now we have life. So, Father, I pray for those tonight who are hesitant, who don't want to step in fully to relationship with you, that they may do so tonight. Now, Lord, if there's things hindering us, that we may keep our eyes on you, just swimming to the shore to just have deeper connection with you, that you've decided to forgive us. It's not our swimming to the shore that forgives us, but it's a desire to be with you and be more like you. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so the band is going to jam, and we're going to take five minutes, go pee, whatever, okay? Get some water, uh, get some coffee. We'll have a slide. Can we throw up the slide for the Q&A on the screen? It's on there? Cool. So if you want to ask a question, do that now. Do that in five minutes, whatever. Type in slido.com. I know it's a weird name. I don't like it. And there's going to be a code, 3441135, okay? It's going to be up there. We're going to keep it up there. Type in a question. It can be as out of pocket, technically, as you want, and as base level. So let's take five minutes. What time is it now? It is 8.10. Let's come back at like 8.15, and we'll call everybody back in and do Q&A. Cool? Sweet? All right.
Check, check. Hey, how's everybody's pee? Just kidding. Good to see y'all back. Hey, so uh, we'll just jump right in. We got about 15 minutes or so till about 8.30. Um, feel free to hang out at Sopo. Feel free to kick it in here. We got a few questions. Feel free to load those up uh, still. Um, so our first question is this. Uh, the first one. Oh, and can we thank the worship team real quick? Thank you, guys. You guys are amazing. Uh, we'll see you back up here uh, before announcements. Okay, so just jumping in, find, find your spot, get your coffee, do your thing. So the first question is this. How would you respond to a Christian that claims saying LGBTQ plus lifestyles are a sin is legalistic or unloving? So this question, I think, um, I mean, this is a phenomenal question. This is the cultural moment we're in. This is the air we breathe, yeah. specifically in Albuquerque. Um, and I, I really want Scott to speak into this as well, but I really think, first of all, you have to look at the way in which you are addressing it with this person. If you are publicly criticizing them, if you are taking them before other people and not one-to-one -one having a conversation, I think you're, 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 you're fighting an uphill battle. I, I think truly that the best conversations centered around faith happen through relationship. It happens over a long-term dialogue. And if you're not starting on that foot, it's going to be very difficult for you. Yeah. Um, seriously, it, 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 you're pretty much wasting your time at that point. I, I really encourage any of us in the room tonight who are facing this reality because uh, a little history for you, really, really fast. 1979, the Stonewall Riots in Greenwich Village in New York, there was a, uh, a police pretty much shooting of a gay bar in New York City. And what occurred was something called the Stonewall Riots. And so after that, there is a group of individuals who got together and conceptualized how can we normalize this within our culture? There's a book written on it called After the Ball. And there's three tactics. It's the original founding members of the LGBT movement. The three tactics were to first normalize in psychology. It was seen as a mental illness at the time. The second was to then uh, normalize it in media. And their third and last front was to normalize it within church context, within Christianity. That if the church, the modern church, can begin to believe that homosexual lifestyle, actively living into and pursuing a lifestyle in which you are um, engaging in sexual, emotional, or any kind of relation with the same sex, is normal in the church, then it can just be normalized everywhere. That's you written down. You can read a PDF of that. And so I, th I think we have to really understand the conversations we're having. I think we have to really understand the context in which we're in. And we have to step into this uh, with so much empathy. Yeah. We, have, we have to step into this with so much grace, with, with, with so much care, that this is a deeply rooted issue within people's lives. And it's not as simple as simply claiming or lambasting against people in public. That does nothing. But having an honest and open conversation with somebody about the reality of Jesus and who he is, yeah. and that we are more than what we do with our bodies, yeah. that Jesus is so much bigger than that, and that he has more for us as people. And so I would encourage you with that. Because if you're not starting there, they can easily take it to be you being legalistic. Um, and I'd recommend a few things for you as well, because the conversation isn't going to remain external. It's within the walls of the church. 
And so you need to be equipped. You need to be understanding this topic. You need to be understanding what the scripture says about it. A phenomenal sermon I think every single person should listen to is a sermon by a pastor in New York City by the name of John Tyson. He released a sermon called Jesus in the Gay Community. It's about an hour and 15, just dense theology, uh, debunking a lot of modern progressive theology about that. So on the theology front, you need to be equipped. Don't come in here coming in with your certain biases and the way you grew up. Understand what Scripture says and stand on the foundation of Scripture. Um, Jesus stood in that foundation, but he dialogued one-to-one. So that's what I'd say on that. That's a lot, and we started out heavy. I said, hey, you came, you came back. You came back after your five-minute pee break, and we're going in tonight, okay? Um, that's what I have to say. What do you have to say? I think simply just this is um, how you... Um approach this person is the same way you would approach another Christian that's actively in sin. I know many um, people who are claiming to be Christian sleeping with their girlfriend. Mm. I I think we oftentimes, especially because it is so in our face right now, with the LGBTQ, um, it is something that I think we see as the highest one currently. And I think right now with conversation with things like that, the same way we address that is the same way we need to address sin in general. And I think um, people are going to call you whatever they want. I think where for us, especially with legalism and holiness, that's a heart check with the Lord. So I think get a heart check with the Lord before you have a conversation with this person. I believe we need to trust that the Lord is faithful to convict us and to convict them. So if there's a Christian that believes that, I truly believe everything Nick said, I absolutely agree. Be equipped, be ready, but also trust the Lord. Do we not serve a God who is faithful? Do we not serve a God who convicts? Do we not serve a God? Don't hide what you believe, but is it dressed, is it dressed in love? Is it dressed in compassion? Is it dressed in knowing their past? I, I encourage you, see, see the person before you see the sin. So, that's it. Come on. Again, I don't know why I'm up here, but anyway. <laughs> Next question, and these are all getting upvoted, and so um, I think I really want to touch on this one. How do we forgive? I've had people in my life do awful things, and I find myself struggling to move past them. I know know Jesus said to forgive, but how do we? Take it. Whoever you are, I I want you to know there's community, um, and however you were hurt, um, talk to somebody. Um, I truly believe this is um, that in order to forgive, it's not just to free that person, it's to free yourself. Um, I think last time we had a QA, and I, I had shared on that um, of just um, recently and the most recent time I feel like I've had to forgive is Nick and I had gone through a miscarriage and um, surprisingly I had um, very close people treat me horribly mm. and till this day I've had to learn to forgive but Um, Nick and I have talked about the holidays are very hard for me because um, I was so bitter and I was so angry and it truly was like eating poison and I truly believe with this question we first must see what forgiveness doesn't just do for the person we're forgiving but what forgiveness does for us and I believe as well is that obviously Jesus is the perfect example you even said it in here 
But I truly believe that um, with forgiveness also comes more knowledge of understanding what you went through. And so I think talking to um, a counselor, talking to a therapist, talking to a pastor, because you really need to learn. I believe that it's not just like, oh, I forgive you, walk away. There needs to be steps in forgiveness, I believe, as well. And so um, that's really, I think, practicals for you is... um, I'm not saying, oh, walk away and just forgive. Forgiveness is a daily choice. And so you're going to daily have to choose to forgive that person, but also get help. Because I think a lot of that we combined, like, maybe trauma or PTSD and stuff like that as, oh, we're just not forgiving them. And that's why I still have it. But it's like, no, these are things that the Lord wants to heal in you. So um, that's my advice. Yeah. And, man, I'm so pro-therapy. Every phenomenal person I know is in therapy. And um, I really would recommend sitting down with somebody who's a trusted individual, knows what they're doing, knows what they're talking about. Don't let them get weird and tell you to, like, go, like, imagine and manifest things. Like, there's that side of therapy. So just walk circumspectly. Be very hesitant to um, really trust everything they're saying. But there's something that comes when we're able to really address the reality of what we've been through and walk through that and actually vocalize it. So much of what we experience in our minds has actually never been said. And it's lingering there. And the second thing I'd say, I'll, I'll just finish with that, and then we'll jump to the next one because Scott did a good job, um, is if you're able to, if it's safe for you, I think th- there's something about confronting and making things right with that individual. It might be through some prison bars, but Matthew 18 tells us, if a brother has sinned against you, go take their wrong before them and, and make it right. And if they don't listen to you, bring another person. And I think there's a lot of healing in that. And if it's safe for you and if it's possible, I'd push you to that. Do it in community. Do it with people. Um, there's something so essential about that. But those are the two things I'd add to that. So okay, this one's getting upvoted quite a bit. Um, it's the passages dealt with legalism when aimed at other people. What do you think is the intersection between legalism and holiness aimed at oneself? That's so good. And I think a lot of the time we experience uh, the worst realities within our own minds. We're our own, our own worst critic. Um, and I would say this, stand on God's truth, man. Yep. If you are battling with really legalism over yourself, which really, when I read that, I, I, I hear a little bit of self-rejection. I hear a little bit of you're tallying up all the wrong things you've done, all the people you've hurt, all the people that have hurt you, all the, all the bitterness, all the frustration, all the sin you're carrying. You feel like the woman caught in adultery, and you're standing, and you brought yourself before the crowd. Um, I say stand on God's truth. Stand on the reality, because everything else is shifting, sand. Everything else, at the end of the day, um, changes. But God's truth, and if you are a Bible-believing follower of Jesus, and you believe Jesus to be God, then what he is saying is quite the reality. I'd say, like, get expo mode. Actually, get Sharpies, man. Get Sharpies. Put that stuff on your mirrors. Write that thing down. Put it on sticky notes. You need to remind yourself and step away from the lies of the enemy because the lies of the enemy are coded in shame and regret where we serve a God who's looking to the future and he is a God of redemption and hope. He is not sitting in the past. And so that's what I would tell you if we were to get coffee. Um, And that's just what I would say is is start to analyze what's a lie and what's a truth. Speak it. Write it down. Start to parcel out. What are you holding yourself against, and what is your standard? What is the standard you're measuring yourself against? And so that's what I would say. It's kind of abandoned on a bullet wound, but anyway. Um, Another thing is this, is you're talking about Scripture and how it directs towards other people. Um, 
but I think we're missing one huge person, and it was Judas. Hmm. And the problem was this, is that he, like Nick said, he, I always think about if he would have just came to the Lord after betraying him. And I, I truly believe yeah, there is someone in the Bible, no. and it's Judas. And he literally drove himself mad because of his past sin and his legalism. And so I truly believe this is that um, if you don't, um, we will end up, we will be like Judas, just uh, killing ourselves over it. And so I truly believe that we need to come to the, to the foot of the cross with that. So, Yeah. The next one, uh, I love this question. This is a conversation I've been having with a few individuals, and me and Joshua have been talking about this a lot. What are the characteristics of a man of God? Nick okay. Casita. No. Um, <laughs> Somebody else. I don't know. But Nick actually I don't know. hates Christian, God. Peter, can you speak to us? Just kidding. <laughs> no, um, I'll, I'll be a little bit vulnerable here. I remember growing up in faith, specifically being a young um, man, about 14, 15 or so. That's when I kind of came to know the Lord. And I sat with my mentor, Josh Edwards at the time. And we were, we were, he wanted to teach me this question. And so, we, you know, we got the books, you know, purity. And it's like, <laughs> t- like the cover is just like all black with like grit and then like white words. And then another one was this book called Act Like Men. I remember it to this day. It's still sold everywhere. Some of you may own it. The cover is this. It's a man with the largest steroid-induced up biceps I have ever seen in my life, praying, flexing so hard. And that was the cover. And, you know, the, some of the content was good in that, but I remember specifically looking at that book saying, I don't look like that. I don't know if I even got the genetics to look like that. That's what a man looks like. And then looking at the purity book and reading that, and this book, and, and this is something, you've heard about toxic purity culture, and this is something that this book just uh, went in on. I remember this book communicating, every single time you have a lustful thought as a man, Take a rubber band, put it on your wrist, and snap your wrist. This is real stuff. Some of you have read this. Some of you applied this. Some of you have lived into this. I know I did. And I'm looking back, like, that's masochistic, dude. That is absolutely, and and the reason is is the author at the time was saying, hey, it's a psychology, mind-body connection. Every time you feel bad, feel bad physically, and you'll just not want the thing anymore. Got to be honest, as a 14-year-old, do you think I stopped doing what I was doing looking at pornography, lusting after women, just because a little rubber band on my wrist. No. I continue that behavior despite that. And the reality is men, we have been given a picture and painted an image of what society says and believes what a man is to be, a man that endures pain, a man that looks huge like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But the truth is that when you want to look and see what a man is of God, I'm going to give the typical answer. You look to Jesus. Just, just read those letters and, and pay attention to his life. Look at the way he conducted himself. Look at the way he treated women. Yep. Look at the way he spent time with people. Look them in the eyes. Yep. I, I see Jesus, and, and he's not hurried. He's not caught up on, oh, man, I got to go feed these people. I got to go feed the 5,000. Works really stressful. I don't got time for you guys. I got to go. He was unhurried, man. I, I, I look to Jesus, and I see his life. He wept. I'm so over a culture that has come against men being sensitive. Did you know men have the highest suicide rate? Men kill themselves more than women. And I believe it's because we've told men, stuff it down, put it away, act like a man, when we're really telling men to be sociopaths. 
So I'm not saying, you know, go sob on somebody you find interesting or whatever and just be like, I'm just so in touch with my feminine side. This is, this is what I'm saying, though. The reality of who Jesus is, I, I'm going to say this till the day I die. And I'm not just saying this because I'm a pastor. He changes everything. He changes everything. And, and the reality is, is he is so anti-toxic masculinity. Now, with that, there's some hard things Jesus did. Jesus died and was tortured to death. So there's another thing. Jesus also prayed every day for probably minimum of an hour. Jesus wasn't liked by everybody. Jesus said some hard things to people. I think as men, we have to reclaim the reality of men were made to protect. Men were made to care for people. Men were made to stand up for what's right. So do I believe it looks like listening to Joe Rogan every day and eating elk meat and <laughs> bench pressing 500 pounds? No. But it looks like a man who admits when they're wrong. Yep. Yep. It looks like a man who makes eye contact in conversation. Yep. And truly, again, it looks like a man owning up to their mistakes. The biggest wrongs I see in the older generations of the fathers that often raised us and wounded us is we see men who don't own up to anything. And I'll just say this, if you're interested in a girl, just be point out, just, just be point blank, hey, I'm interested in you, I want to take you on a date to get to know you, okay? All the women are appreciative of me right now. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Just be a man who, who, who is honest and speaks to the reality of just transparency. And I'd say that's what it means to be a man of God. Good. So, there's that. The women are going to hate me in the room. I know a woman wrote this. Mm. Let me just say this out loud. Do not be having expectations on that man that you won't have for yourself. Here's the dang dealio. Y'all are like, I need to find a good godly man. I'm all, be a good godly woman. Come on. Stop holding these man, men to um, these challenges when you're acting like their mother. You know what? Stop playing with their hearts. Yeah. Stop saying, I'm going to go to coffee with you and then being like, I don't really like you. Mm. No. You know what? Hold yourself to that standard. Mm. Don't play with men's hearts. Don't treat them like little boys. Treat them like men. Honor them. Respect them. Okay? Can we, can we all be in agreement here? We're going to respect the men in the house. And Amen. men, we're going to respect the women in we the house. We got some good men in the house, I will say. We do. I love you. We do. Okay, we got one more question. I know. Time. We're over time. Sorry, everybody. It says a minute 45, so it's not my fault. Anyway. Um, <laughs> okay, what are the characteristics of one of God? I think Scott oh. said that. Oops. Characteristics of man of God. Cool. What does daily time with God look like for you two? I don't know. <laughs> Just watch any other... Any other, like, married couple on YouTube, they'd do a better job of talking about that. Um, okay. I really... Okay. Okay. Man, there's two really good ones. Oh, man. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to do Oh, my gosh. Okay. There's so much. Okay. Real quick, before I jump into the last question, would it be cool if we released a video touching on the rest of the questions? Would you guys be interested in that? Okay. Cool. We can be YouTube influencers now. Okay. We're actually... Just kidding. Hey. Okay. Coming from me from Hawaii. <laughs> um, man, there's so many good ones, guys. Okay, I'm really feeling leaning towards this relational one. Let's say we show somebody grace and forgiveness time and time again. At what point do you give up on someone, or do you never give up on that person? Oof. Wow. You want to answer that? <laughs> I want to hear what you have to say. I'm, I'll add on. Um, I'm going to be in sassy. Okay. <laughs> this is going to sound kind of dense, but it's, it's scripture. Okay. So Jesus says, uh, do not judge anyone for the measure you judge against them. The standard you hold them to, you will be judged, right? But then later on in scripture, Paul says, a righteous man judges all things. 
So then we get in this place of like, I'm a little frustrated. Scripture's contradicting itself. What Jesus is saying in the original language is do not measure the intentions of other people and assume upon people's intentions because the same critical heart you have of people's intentions will be measured against you. But then Paul says, a righteous man judges all things. Paul is highlighting that we are to call out and highlight behavior, never intentions, okay? I love this woman. I've been married to her almost five years now. I, I know her more than anybody else has or ever will. I still don't know her intentions. I, I, I cannot get in Skylar's mind and really know her intentions on everything. Even I, sometimes I think that. Yeah, right. <laughs> the truth is, it doesn't matter how close you are to somebody, we can never imagine or really know what people intend. We can only judge behavior. And so the New Testament doesn't call us to just turn, kind of turn a blind eye, just kind of let be, people beat us over the head, right. right? We use a scripture, turn the other cheek. Okay, Jesus was speaking to a community and a people oppressed by one of the most uh, intense governments and most oppressive governments of all time, who are often killed in the street. So we need to take the approach of, I'm going to judge behavior, and if you claim to follow Jesus, I'm going to measure you against what this thing says. Okay, this thing is thick as heck. But I'm going to measure you against this. Yeah. We're going to go here, and we're going to test the standards here. If something's not lining up, again, Matthew 18, I'm going to confront you on it. If you're not willing to hear it, there's the list that goes down to Matthew 18. And so I really believe you have to define your terms. You have to define the relationship. You have to define the context. Okay, if that's not the case, because we are living in a post-Christian culture where evangelism is relational. There's people in our lives that are difficult. There's family members in our lives that are difficult. Paul even says, uh, "Be get along with all men as, as long as you possibly can. That's pretty much what he says. Paul says to be in unison with people as long as you possibly can until you can't no more. I think there's a point that you have to have a really honest conversation with people, and boundaries are so essential. If conversations with this person, if you're just not seeing eye to eye time and time again, and it is bringing you back to a place of bitterness and anger and frustration, and it's just weighing you down, I think there's a time to put up a wall, put up a boundary, to lay out those establishment of that relationship and to set the standard for, hey, when you're ready to have the conversation, this is what it's going to look, back, look like. But you're not going to scream at me. You're not going to yell at me. You're not going to make personal judgments. I'm just judging behavior. I'm just judging what you've done. And on your side, be the person to just examine their behavior. Don't make character calls, okay? One of the biggest telltale signs of that is you always, mm, 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 mm. you never, mm, mm. no, 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 no. Judge behavior. Test the standard of their behavior. If they claim to follow Jesus, test it against God's word. Yeah. It gets a little harder, but if they're outside of God's word, outside of the family of faith. But I think boundaries are so crucial. And to really, again, do this with people alongside you. Walk through this. This is, this is tricky, difficult stuff. So that's what I would say. Yeah, that's it. I also think really fast, you're not their savior. You're saying, I give them grace and forgiveness. I give them grace and forgiveness. Yes. But again, with boundaries, I think a lot of times we don't want to set boundaries because we think we can save them. That is not the case. You are responsible with your relationship with the Lord, and they are responsible with their relationship with the Lord. So sometimes we need to create that boundary and realize I am not their savior. I'm not going to be the one to consistently keep trying to save them. That's the Lord's job. So that's it. That's good. Okay. Uh, let me pray for us, and we'll answer the rest of these on our Instagram with a little reel or something. Um, but with that, we'll have the band come back up, play us out a chorus, and then actually, 
If we could just play keys or whatever, something simple, and then we'll have Peter do announcements. Cool. I just made a last-minute change, so you guys can respect your time, I guess. Okay. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're the God of clarity. Thank you that, Father, you want relationship with us. You desire closer tethering to who we are, and you have a fuller picture of what it means to be human than we could ever imagine. And so, Father, I just pray right now that anybody, anybody in this room, anybody listening down the line, any, any context what that looks like, that, Father, we may just know that you desire for all to come to know you and that the enemy can't snatch us out of your hands, but that you keep us, you know your sheep, you count the hairs on our heads. So, Father, I just pray that we may go out from this room and just in your love and just trusting you. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right, now we're going to close with a few announcements from the beautiful man himself, Peter Unger. Right on. Can you guys give it up for Nick and Sky? Hey, tonight was super dense, um, so I want to encourage you. Uh, we have a podcast. We have a social media channel. We have our Instagram. Um, you can go on there for that reel that they'll be putting up later, and then also you can listen to the recording on this on the podcast, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. So check it out. I mean, this was super dense. There's a lot to digest tonight. If you're new, we have a hospitality table out front. We want to welcome you. We want to know that you were here, have some proof of that. Um, we would love to give you something, have a conversation with you, and ultimately, we want you to come back. Um, we hope that tonight was an incredible experience for you. Uh, a couple updates for the rest of the month, and then I'll have you guys out of here in like 30 seconds. Um, first and foremost, next week, we're meeting at Osuna campus. Don't show up here. No one will be here. You will be alone. Uh, we're going to have a study night um, for students. If you're not a student, that's okay. You can study, or you can go to the worship night, which is also going to be there. Bring your student ID. We'll have free drinks at SOPO. Um, if you are a student, so come here, uh, not here, don't listen to me, go to Osuna next week, 7 p.m., and we'll have a study slash worship night, great? Um, and then the week after that, we're going to be back here, we're going to have a movie night, uh, stay tuned on the Instagram, we will be posting a, um, waited for you to vote, so we'll vote on a movie, and uh, we'll have that on the 17th, and then we will not be getting together on the 24th, nor will we be here on the 31st. Those are holidays. So we'll see you back here on the 7th of January after that. So we have the next two weeks together, super fun stuff planned out. And then after that, we'll have a three-week break. Merry Christmas, and we'll see you guys next week.